Before I get the episode started, I do want to mention a trigger warning. This episode is about anxiety and mental health. There may be some things that are mentioned that you want to be aware of, including drug use, suicidal thoughts, self-harm, depression, anxiety, things of that nature. So if you are sensitive to those topics, be just be mindful before you listen to the episode. If you're not in a great headspace right now, I'd recommend not listening to the episode. And then once you are in a good headspace, if you still feel like listening, then go ahead. But I wanted to put those out there just in case. Here we go. Welcome back to the Not My Will But Yours podcast. I am Elle Johnson, and I hope that you're having a wonderful day so far. This week, I have had a plethora of tech and audio issues with my my microphones and my sound recording software, and I've learned that in order to troubleshoot tech and audio and sound issues, you need a master's degree in audio and sound issues it's impossible. It's so hard. (laughs) So I ended up just resetting my entire laptop, erasing absolutely everything and setting it back to the factory default settings. And guess what? It worked. So I'm happy. We're here. (laughs) We're recording. So that's good news. This past weekend, my husband and I went to a comedy show and that was a lot of fun. The place that we went was actually really comfortable to sit in. A lot of times when I want to go see a show or in my determination of whether or not I'll actually go is where is the venue because there's not very many venues where we live that are comfortable. This one was. The seats were a good size. The in-between your row and the row in front of you and the row behind you, it was actually a pretty good distance, a good amount of space. And the chairs were relatively comfortable. And I didn't feel like there was really a bad seat in the auditorium. So that was awesome. And it was just really enjoyable. And the comedian told a joke about how she grew up Methodist and I grew up Methodist too, so I was all ears. And she remembered being in the bell choir. And so she told this joke about being in the bell choir. And I turned to my husband and I said, oh my gosh, I was in the bell choir when I was in like junior high because it was so pretty. The bells are so pretty. They usually play them around Christmas time and they're so beautiful. So I decided that I wanted to join the bell choir at my church. Going in completely naive, I'd never been in band. I was always in choir. In choir in junior high and high school you don't you can get by 100% without being able to read music eventually you just kind of get the hang of the notes seeing the notes and knowing whether to go up or down and knowing how high to go up and how low to go with your pitch and so that's really all I thought I would need to know going into bell choir I thought okay they're gonna tell me when to ring my bell and I'll just memorize that. So I get there and they put me on the very end. I think I had like the tiniest bell. I was standing next to an English teacher that is an English teacher at the high school. And so I'm standing there and there's sheet music in front of me. And I was like, what in the world? And there were no other kids, I don't think, in the bell choir. If so, one or two and they were in band. So they knew how to read sheet music. So needless to say, they did not tell me when to ring my bell. So I would just ring it randomly, daintily, 
hoping that maybe it was in the right spot (laughs) or that they would correct me and just say, no, just ring it after this person. And then I'd get it down. They didn't. And so that was my one and only practice with the bell choir. I left completely defeated, but I also left knowing that, hey, in the future, ask if you have to be able to read sheet music because that is not something that I can do. <laughs> but I love the bells at the bell in the bell choir. They're so, so pretty. I just, you know, I, I am just not meant to play them. So today I feel called to go ahead and talk a little bit more about my journey with anxiety. I know that when, especially when I was younger, but still now, I find comfort in knowing that I'm not alone in the things that I go through with my anxiety. So I really wanted to just take you through that journey, my early memories of having anxiety, growing up through school, and then what led me, what event led me to start having panic attacks, which is really scary and something that, you know, I uh, I assume a lot of people go through, I don't know, and something that probably more people than we think deal with. So here we go. My journey with anxiety started, for some reason, whenever I think of the first time I ever had anxiety, the number 12 always pops up in my head and I don't know why. Maybe that's when I recognized that something was off, but I do think that, to be honest, I think it started when I started spending the night at friends' houses because that was the first, I mean, that's not necessarily what prompted it, but that is when I first started noticing it. When I would go to friends' houses when I was younger, I would always call my mom in the middle of the night crying to go home. And when I was younger, like second grade, she would come and pick me up. But then it started to where she wouldn't. You know, we've talked about this before and, you know, and she said that it was because I was insistent on going and she would say, you know, okay, well, if you go, you're going to stay the whole time. And of course I was young, I wanted to go. And so I would say, yes, I'm not so sure that was the right thing for me, the right way to handle it. I mean, you don't really know those types of situations what's going to be the best way to handle it. But looking back, I mean, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, And so looking back, I think that maybe just not letting me go saying, okay, well, you're not going because the last three times that you've gone, you haven't stayed the whole time. Maybe, okay, you can go, but I'm going to pick you up at eight o'clock or I'm going to pick you up at seven o'clock or something like that. Maybe that would have been a little bit better. And of course, I don't blame her for that and like I said we have talked about it and that's why she said that she did that was because I was insistent on going and and she would tell me you have to stay you have to stay you know and I think that gave made it worse (laughs) but knowing that there's not an out is kind of what makes it a little bit worse because having an exit strategy is something I use to this day to relieve some anxiety if there's a situation I'm going into where I feel anxious going into it or if I'm going into a situation that has a tendency in the past to elevate my anxiety, an exit strategy is what helps calm that in the event that I need to exit the building, exit the event in a quick way, or if I just am getting so anxious that I just need to leave, I need to have an exit strategy. And sometimes that involves a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And that's not, you know, that's not something that I say out loud. That's something I keep 
to myself because I don't want to, if the person I'm with also has anxiety, to raise their anxiety. I also don't want the person that I'm with to think that there is an impending danger when 99.9% of the time there's not and it's just something I've made up in my head. Try having an exit strategy and allowing your brain to wrap around the fact that you can get out of this situation if you need to. But I would say that was my first memory of having anxiety was spending the night with friends. And then at the time, I don't think that I realized that not having that exit strategy was increasing my anxiety and making it worse. That's something that I now realize. It helps to have that knowing that you're not stuck somewhere. And this isn't to be put in place as a crutch necessarily, because I do realize that if you continually give in to a child's wants or requests or things like that, that it then becomes a hindrance on their growth as an adult. So that's why it's also important to maybe suggest something else. If you know that they have a pattern of not staying somewhere and wanting to come home, then offer that, okay, you can go, but I'm picking you up at eight o'clock and you're not spending the night. And then maybe they'll grow in their maturity. And when they're a little bit older, high school age, it won't be an issue because then it stopped being an issue for me with my friends, except for one time at university. And I will tell you about that later on in the episode. I think my first sleepover was in second grade. It was a birthday party. The girl whose birthday it was posted a picture on Facebook a few years ago of us at that party and I was wearing my Spice Girl shirt (laughs) and 90s mom jeans. Those Those are back in style, love them. But it was just funny that that's what I was wearing in that picture was a Spice Girl shirt and mom jeans. And now I'm going to kind of go into divorce a little bit because my anxiety did have a lot to do with the fact that I had to go and visit my dad on the weekends. And at this point, I would recommend that maybe if you're my parent to not listen to this part unless you, you know, are prepared for my truth in the situation. And this is just mine. This is just everything that I felt and everything that was my experience. So this isn't anyone else's experience. This isn't saying anything bad about anybody in the situation. This is just my experience with anxiety as a kid in this situation of divorce. My parents got divorced when I was in the first grade. We moved across the street because my grandma lived across the street in some apartments. So at first it wasn't a big deal because we just walk across the street to visit, which I don't remember a lot of. I remember a Christmas where I got an icebreaker game and a Tickle Me Elmo. I remember that. And I remember going over there one day because I didn't have any socks. So I was like, oh, I have socks over there. I'll just go grab some. So that's the only memory I have of actually living across the street from my dad. And then he ended up moving back to his hometown and we stayed in my hometown. And then came the time where my brother and I had to start going to visit my dad on the weekends because the court said we had to and he lived about two hours away and of course he's my dad so what else are you gonna do (laughs) keep your kids from your dad no I mean I hope not unless there's a reason to of course so in doing what the court said of course we had to go every other weekend and when I tell you that we went every other weekend we did not miss a weekend I'm sure that there was not a one weekend that my mom was like, eh, you don't have to go. We went every other weekend, unless it was 
some big thing and then I'm sure we made up the weekend or something like that. I don't know. I don't really remember. But I do remember every other weekend. And the thing is that the actual visiting wasn't bad. That wasn't the thing. It was my anxiety, my separation anxiety from my mom that made it almost unbearable not only on me but the people that had to be around me because when I would go a lot of the times I would go and I would be so upset and just so beside myself all this all at one time not being with my mom you know being somewhere that I'm you know not uncomfortable but just somewhere that's not my normal and I would get so upset that I would make myself sick I mean that's how upset I would get and then I would get in trouble because I was crying all the time and I was getting sick you know that's not something that it wasn't my fault it wasn't anybody's fault and if you're a child I do I do have some advice I do have some advice from someone who went experience that firsthand if your child is experiencing something similar if they're having a hard time carrying out maybe things that they enjoy I wanted to be with my friends genuinely I wanted to be with my friends but I just couldn't because I had all of the anxiety associated with it if that's something that's happening if they're crying so much that they are getting sick because of something is bringing them such anxiety then they need to see a therapist one thousand percent when I was younger I didn't see a therapist I didn't see a therapist until I was 16 you have to get your child help because it's not their fault and so that's kind of you know the beginning of my anxiety journey if I knew even if I knew that I was going to be away from my mom if I had to spend the night with even my grandma who lived down the street If I was going to have to spend the night at her house, I would still get anxiety. And she lived down the street. Literally down the street. (laughs) And I love my grandma. I would go over to her house all the time. But I would still get that anxiety. I wouldn't get sick. But I would still have that frozen... My personality would be frozen. I don't know what to call it. But frozen with fear? I mean, I wasn't necessarily scared. But it frozen with anxiety where I just wasn't myself. I couldn't have fun. And to be honest, I still experience that today. As a kid, then I still experienced that even with my grandma. So it wasn't necessarily the person because my mom wasn't sending me places where I was in danger by any means. She wasn't sending me somewhere that she thought that I could possibly be in danger. It wasn't that. And it would, it was so debilitating that I, I, I couldn't enjoy myself and during the week at school if I knew that that was the week that I was gonna have to be away from my mom my entire week would kind of have a cloud of doom around it if you will just kind of like a gray cloud like if I was gonna be with my mom that weekend and stay home it would be more of a a bright sunny experience that week and then if it was a weekend that or some time that I was gonna have to be away from my mom then it was kind of a gray cloudy doomy experience a gloomy doomy not necessarily doom but like gloom does that make sense so I would I if I'm looking back at that the weeks where I would stay home with my mom were sunny weeks if the 
a week that I was going to be away from her a weekend, it was a gray, cloudy, gloomy week. And that's just kind of how I felt the entire week. And so it affected me all the time. It still affects me all the time. But I think the difference would have been if I was in therapy and I was able to talk to somebody and somebody was able to help me, maybe that would have helped. I mean, it wouldn't have, it definitely wouldn't have stopped the visitation. It wouldn't have stopped me from having to be away from my mom at some point. That's not what would have stopped. But maybe what would have started is the understanding. People would have started, I would have started understanding this is why this is happening. My dad would have understood, my mom would have understood, and we could have worked together to solve it rather than having me be somebody that was not a great time to be around, especially when I was away from my mom. And my mom was not overbearing whatsoever. It wasn't that I was reliant on her all the time. It was just the anxiety. So that was kind of my childhood with anxiety didn't know what was going on, didn't have anybody trying to help. I know that I had insomnia sometimes when I would be visiting my dad, and I'm sure it was aggravating for him, but he would turn on The Little Mermaid for me to be able to watch because that was kind of comforting for me, and I still do that to this day where if I wake up in the middle of the night or something, especially when a few weeks ago when I had the coronavirus, I woke up in the middle of the night and was like, man, I just... I need something comforting. And so I turned on Great British Baking Show. And so I still do that to this day. And a lot of people do that. You know, you reach for your comfort show. What's your comfort show? And so I know that it wasn't easy. That experience wasn't easy for anybody that was involved. If your kid is going through anything similar, I just recommend getting some guidance from a counselor or a therapist that can help you and the child and the other parent understand what's happening and what you can do to help ease those anxieties. Here we are and I'm 30 and I still have anxiety, which I'm not saying that that would have cured it, but it definitely would have helped. And again, it's nobody's fault because we didn't know. I mean, it wasn't, I don't feel like in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, it wasn't a common thing for everybody to be in therapy like it is now, which is a shame. But I am happy that it is becoming more of a common occurrence nowadays. I am not currently in therapy, but I did see the same therapist for 10 years. And I've seen my psychiatrist since I was 16 and I still go to her. So everybody has something that they're working on. Moving up into teenage years, I'm trying to think. Okay, so when I switched schools in ninth grade, I switched schools from a school in my hometown where I graduated with 120 kids to a school that had 2,000 kids. Hi, this is an interruption. This is Elle editing this podcast, and I just wanted to let you know that that statement's a little confusing, where I said my hometown where I graduated with 120 kids, but then I moved somewhere else with 2,000 kids. I went from my hometown to a different city, and then I ended up back in my hometown where I ended up graduating. So that's a little bit of clarification. Back to the episode. 2,000 kids in two grades. So I remember I cried every day. <laughs> I cried like every day for the first few weeks or even maybe first month. I was only there for nine weeks, but still. And here's the thing. When you're a new kid in a small town, people know people know there's a new kid. Hey, there's the new kid. 
I want them to sit with me at lunch. I'm going to be friends with the new kid. Oh my gosh, did you see the new kid? Yeah, I have a class with the new kid. That's how it is in a small town. This big town, or this city, nobody knows that you're new. Nobody knows. And so I was lost. I was so lost walking around this humongous school. By the end of the first week, I wanted a sign above my head that said, I am new. Please help me. So going from a small town to a huge school is a very, very, very different experience. And my counselor ended up, my counselor at the school, because in a school that big, you have different counselors by last name. So my counselor did end up getting me paired up with a girl. Her name was Brittany, which is weird because that would be the second Brittany that I met at a school, the first girl that I was friends with. And so I ended up eating lunch with her every day. I did go over to her house once. That made a huge difference. So if you can start out with that at a big school, that would make a world of difference. Just have like a committee almost or like a club, the welcome committee or something like that. That would have made a huge difference for me because I would cry every day going into the school hoping that a natural disaster would come along and the school would be swept away so I didn't have to go. Moving on to my adulthood, which is when it really started to affect me in a deeper way, in a different way. I went to this overnight camp for one weekend right before college, right before I started at school, and I went to that camp for a weekend. Everyone there was new. Everyone there was an incoming freshman. Everybody was meeting new people, and I, I'm not kidding, 18 years old, called my mom to come and pick me up. I said, you have to come and pick me up, and I was crying because my anxiety was so bad surrounding the entire situation. Not to mention, they pulled a prank on us, and if you have anxiety... I'm sure that you know that you're kind of on edge all the time. And so being pranked or being scared isn't something that I find enjoyable. It's not something that excites me. It's not something that I want. I don't want to be scared or pranked or anything like that because it just adds to the anxiety because I'm already on edge all the time. So it's not fun for me at all. And fights are something that I have a lot of anxiety about and I can blame the movie Pay It Forward for that that I watched in the eighth grade. Ever since I watched that movie, I have a so much anxiety around altercations even in general and so they faked this fight or whatever with some guy like pretending to be like an MMA fighter and that he was pretending to be a freshman and then he like got up on the stage and had like a fake altercation with one of the counselors at the camp and then it ended up being a prank and that was not funny to me at all because I already had I had my normal anxiety and then it was elevated because I was in a I was in a space that I didn't know. I wasn't comfortable. I didn't know anybody there. And then that happened and I just <laughs> I started crying and I lost it. I was like, I this is so stupid. I can't believe that they would do this to us. But then again, not everybody has anxiety. Not everybody has that mentality around those things. And that's something that is really important if you have someone in your life that has anxiety, is to be sensitive to those things. Because it's not that I that I want to be that sensitive, because I don't. It's embarrassing. It's not fun. It's just something to maybe consider, take into consideration that somebody may have severe anxiety before you do things like that or before you pull a prank on somebody. That's just something maybe to keep in your back pocket to remember for, you know, if you have a loved one <laughs> that has anxiety. And, you know, it's different for everybody. So, I my experience is not the exact same as somebody else's. The premises are pretty much the same. 
So I want to bring you to what led me to start having panic attacks. And I do want to preface this by saying I will be talking about drug use. This is only in reference to street dangerous drugs. This is not in reference to anything medical. This isn't about medical grade marijuana at all. I know people, I I personally know people that use it for medical needs and that's a wonderful thing. It helps them great. It's medical grade. This is not about that. This is about the dangerous stuff that you buy from Joe Schmo off the street that you don't know what's in it. You don't know what you're taking. You have no idea. Your doctor didn't give that to you. Your doctor didn't tell you, please take one of these a day for four days. That's not what this is. This is dangerous. So I want to preface that by saying that. Let's jump to about 21. I was living in an apartment by myself and this is so ridiculous but it's just, but it gave me such comfort. My bathroom in the apartment was relatively small. And so, and I was in nursing school at the time. So I, in RN school, so I would go get home from school, go straight into the bathroom and sit there, do my homework, smoke, cigarettes. I know, shocker. I know. I did that for like three or four years and then I stopped, but I would do that and then do my homework and I would just stay in the bathroom. I would close the door, be in this teeny tiny space, and for some reason, even though I'm pretty sure I'm claustrophobic, this, actually I know I'm claustrophobic, this gave me comfort. And I think it was because, and this could be completely wrong, but I think it was because being lonely in a big space is daunting, but being lonely in a tighter, smaller space is less daunting, so that could be the reason why. But I did that every day for probably four to six months. I would come home, I would go get my laptop, get my homework, and go sit in the bathroom and just stay there until it was time to go to bed, and then I would go to bed. And even just thinking about that and saying it out loud is so, number one, it's ridiculous to even think about. But number two, it's sad. Now, and and also, I'm not telling you this because I'm saying woe is me. I'm telling you this so that if you've ever experienced something like this, you're not alone. If you are currently experiencing something like this, it gets better. If you know somebody that is on this path, it can be informative. So that's what I'm telling you. Plus, It's been on my mind for the past few weeks. I can't shake it. And so that's usually (laughs) means that God wants you to share something. If you can't shake it, it's just there in the forefront of your mind. That typically means that that's what God's calling you to do. So that's what I'm doing. I I spent that much time in the bathroom. It got to a point where self-harm was involved. That's something that's difficult to talk about because it's embarrassing. It's shameful. It's hard to talk about. It's not something that I ever really want to talk about, but it's something that happens. And at that point, I should have asked for help. I should have told my counselor. And here's another thing. If you're going to counseling, you need to be honest with your counselor and tell them everything because they can only help you if they know everything. I didn't tell my counselor and I could have gotten help. I mean, I didn't feel like I was bad enough, but if self-harm is involved, I mean, come on, come on now. I think that kind of signifies I might need some guidance and assistance from somebody other than myself. This time I wasn't active in a church. I wasn't actively reading the Bible. I wasn't doing any of that. And I would occasionally listen to worship music, but I think that faded. I know for sure if I had been active in a church or if I had actively been reading my Bible, if I had been actively following Jesus, that I would have had more tools to deal with this kind of thing. I would have at least had some kind of hope. What led to the panic attacks? I was at a point where I wanted to feel better. I was depressed. I was at a point where I was like, I, I want to feel better. I, I don't, 
I don't want to be in this space forever. And let me tell you, you won't be. But when you're young, it's hard to see. I know, I know I've said this before, but it's hard to see past a few days. It's hard to see past the next week. That's a hard thing to do, but it gets better. I mean, I'm here telling you this story, so obviously it got better for me. I mean, I'm here. I got through it. If I hadn't gotten through it, I wouldn't be here. I had been talking to my best friend, my best friend's boy that she was, man that she was talking to. He was like older 20, upper 20s, maybe. He was older than us. I knew that he had experience with like drugs. I had been talking to him about certain things and could he get this, could he get this? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, the thing that I asked him for, I didn't get. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm and just praise God that that didn't happen. So I talked to my other friend. Hey, you and I are going to go see our other friend this weekend. So can you get weed? And of course, she knew someone that maybe knew someone that knew someone. So she did. She got she got some. And then we went to we met at a convenience store that was like halfway between because she was in college somewhere else. So we had to meet and then go to where our friend was. I remember her telling me, you know, your mouth is going to get super dry, so you need to get water. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And we got in the car and, you know, as you do, you take puffs. I don't know (laughs) what you call it. Um, And, you know, I didn't feel anything. So I was like, okay. So I did it again. Didn't feel anything. I did it again. And after maybe the third time, I was like, okay, I do feel something. And that's when it started. My very first panic attack started. I was, I had lost touch with reality, which I believe is called derealization. And this doesn't happen with everyone that has a panic attack because all panic, I mean, they're different, but there's anxiety attacks, which I know that, you know, are more common where you, and, and I think I have a different definition of what an anxiety attack is versus what a panic attack is. My anxiety attacks are where I start breathing really heavily and I'm like kind of freaking out and kind of hyperventilating a little bit and that's basically what my anxiety attacks are but a panic attack I experience numbness so I can't feel my body derealization happens which is derealization is a mental state where you feel detached from your surroundings people and objects around you may seem unreal even so you're aware that it is that the altered state isn't normal. And that's from WebMD. And that happened for me. I I felt an altered kind of reality where I didn't feel like I was real. My I was numb. I was going in and out of consciousness and freaking out. I told my friend to pull over. We were on the highway. I told her to pull over. She pulled over. I was screaming. Now, mind you, she had done the exact same thing that I did and she wasn't acting out of the ordinary at all. I was screaming louder than I had ever screamed before, banging my fists on the dash of her car. And I told her that I needed to call my counselor. Um, I don't think he picked up. My mom, I don't think picked up. So I called 911. I didn't know what else to do. I called them and I told them what was happening and they had the audacity to tell me that I was having a panic attack. I said, I, okay, I realize that that may be what's happening, but I feel like I'm dying. I feel like something is happening to me. And I wasn't saying this in in any kind of coherent fashion. I was telling them, I remember specifically telling them that I was somewhere that I wasn't. I named off a road in a different town, which of course that's not where we were, but that's where I told them that we were because I, I really didn't have any kind of sense of anything. So I ended up hanging up with them and I guess they had dispatched you know, the emergency people. It seemed like forever. 
until I got there. So in the meantime, I couldn't, I still couldn't feel my body. I was hanging on, I felt like I was slipping out of the car. So I was holding onto my friend's arm, like for dear life. I tried to open the door of the car so that I could run out into the traffic so that I could feel something because I didn't think that I was alive. I thought that I was dying. I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't have any kind of sense of reality and I was freaking out beyond freaking. There's not even a word for it except for derealization, panic attack, just an altered state of reality. It was horrible. So luckily my friend, you know, didn't let me out of the car because that would have been catastrophic. And finally the police showed up and, you know, asked kind of what was going on and they were going to send me home. But I guess I had said something that concerned them. So they put me in the ambulance. I couldn't even walk to the ambulance. I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I had to crawl into the ambulance, which is insane. I was sitting there and I was trying to think of what had happened earlier that day. I remember that now because I was like, okay, what happened to me? What happened earlier that day? Trying to get any kind of sense of reality or grasp on reality that I possibly could. And I had had class earlier that day. And so I was going over in my head what had happened in nursing school that, that morning. And so I was going over that and going over that in my head. I was thinking about my mom and my stepdad and their dog. And sitting on their couch and watching TV because that was one of my happy places. I was like, oh, I wish I would. I just wish I was there right now. They were going to send me home too. the the EMTs. And so then again, I said something that was concerning to them. They ended up putting me, letting, you know, saying that they were going to take me to the hospital, to the emergency room because of the things that I had said. So I got out of the ambulance. I don't, I don't remember getting out, which probably, I mean, that could just be because it was in 2013. But I do know that I was handcuffed and I was put in the front seat of the police car. When I was sitting in the police car, I remember being really antsy and like trying, like the handcuffs were hurting my hands. So I could feel at that point, the handcuffs were hurting my hands really bad. And the the police officer was talking to me, but I couldn't really understand what he was saying or even he, it seemed like everybody seemed like a character to me. So he just seemed kind of like a weird character. So I don't know what I looked like to the outside world, but this was what was going on on the inside. So they took me to the emergency room. Don't remember anything except I remember walking in sort of, and then I went into the, the room and they had a guard that was there in front of my room watching me. And then finally throughout the, you know, time that I was there, I started to come out of it and feel a little bit more normal. And I turned on the TV and I turned on I remember watching Big Bang Theory and I remember that being so comforting because I knew for a fact that what they were saying, I was not making up because I'm not that smart. There's no way I was making that stuff up in my head. So that was a huge sense of comfort for me at that time. And it was, you know, for a a little while, a few years after that. It was that big sense of source of comfort for me, especially when I was having anxious tendencies. And so then the guard, I remember the guard being there and he gave me a chocolate chip cookie. He was like, don't tell anybody. And I was like, oh, don't worry, I won't. (laughs) And then I remember seeing my friend one time and I think it was because she brought my stuff that was in her car. But still, she didn't seem, and this is what gets me, is that she didn't seem altered in any way. Not in any way at all. 
And so that's why my theory is that some things react with people different than others. It could have been that I was taking a certain medication at the time for anxiety. I don't know. But all I know is that we did the same thing. I freaked out. She did not. At least I don't think that she did. I mean, I, to be honest, I maybe talked to her once or twice after that. But that ruined our friendship for sure. And it wasn't even her fault. But it was just a sense of tension, awkwardness, weirdness. Now, I mean, now she has that story about me. And there's no telling what what it was through her eyes. There's no telling. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I want to know, to be honest. But she's not a huge part of what I experienced because I was just concentrating on staying alive or figuring out if I was alive. My mom was out of town. The emergency room, the hospital there, they didn't have long distance. So I don't know what happened to my phone, if it was dead or what happened to it, but I couldn't call my mom to tell her where I was or what happened. I said some more concerning things, not just willy-nilly, but because they said, okay, well, you said this in the, you know, a few times to the EMTs and to the police officer. Is this how you're feeling? And so I would say it to them again. And I was like, yes. And I'm sure you can put together what that was. They ended up sending me somewhere for observation, which is it's like a behavioral health overnight stay place where you stay for five days. 125 hours so that's where I ended up at the end of the night the police drove me there I ended up calling my mom told her that I had a panic attack and they're keeping me for observation a very mild version of the story and then because I I mean I don't know how I called I maybe it was my phone or the check-in person's phone I don't know because they didn't have long distance either but I did somehow get a hold of her. It was midnight. I remember that. So I went, I didn't have anything. I mean, I had my like laptop and my purse and that was about it, but they keep everything. They will put all of your belongings in a bag and keep it until you leave. So I didn't have anything. And they took me up to the unit that I was going to be on and they gave me some medicine to calm me down since I was in nursing school I recognized the medication and I said isn't this for neuropathy I don't know why I said that but I remember saying that I think because I didn't want him to think I was crazy I wanted him to think that I was smart but and he was like yeah but it's also used for this so I took I they gave me that went to sleep and I slept great let me tell you I slept great I was in a room by myself room was completely bare it like bare bare bones room had a bathroom thank goodness I was by myself some of the rooms were double rooms they had a staff member that would go you know and check on you throughout the night and they would check on everyone and then I woke up and I was still there in that place and I didn't have any clothes or anything no toothbrush nothing. I stayed there. I I actually think I only stayed there for three or four days. I didn't, I know for sure I didn't stay the entire time, which was rare, but they could tell that I had just kind of fallen down a rabbit hole. And I know that because the counselor or the one of the staff members that I met with maybe that Monday, because this was on a, this had to have been on a Friday, Thursday or Friday. 
it was a Thursday. So, I guess the next day I, I met with the staff. I don't know who they were. They worked at the place. They It was like a table of people. I was still out of it. I was like, I don't know who you guys are, but okay. They were like, and they said to me, you must feel like you fell down the rabbit hole. And to be honest, that's exactly what I felt like. Like, how in the world did I end up here? How did it get this bad? How did, what happened, what, what happened for me to get here? And you know, and I was like, I'm in nursing school, like, I can't miss school, like, what in the world am I supposed to do? They couldn't do anything over the weekend, so I think maybe I left Monday, so I was there from Thursday until Monday, maybe, and I mean, my, I couldn't call my mom, because it was long distance, eventually, she figured out where I was, her and my counselor, and she called me, so they had one phone that was for everybody on the unit, you call the phone, and whoever's by it whatever patient is by the phone will answer the phone and say hey so and so it's for you and it was just a really it made me realize that that's not somewhere that I want to ever go again that's not somewhere I want to be I got caught up on some sleep because I did feel secure with somebody watching you know kind of checking on me throughout the night that made me feel a little bit secure but my friend, my best friend at the time, she came and visited me. She went and picked up my car, and she's seriously still one of the best people. She went to Target and got me something to wear because I had only, I still only had the clothes that I was wearing at the time. My mom or my aunt's friend who lived up there, she came and visited me. Times like that, you really realize who's there for you. And those are the people that I expected to be there, and they were, so that's awesome. You know, and then my mom and my stepdad came and picked me up, and I don't really remember much after that, except that I still was completely out of it for a while, maybe weeks. I didn't feel like myself. When I went back to nursing school, I did end up having a panic attack in the middle of school. In the middle of class, I had to get up and walk out of the room. There was a guy walking by me that I recognized from my class, but I didn't know his name. I wasn't in his group, so I wasn't on a personal basis with him, but he walked past me when I was having a panic attack or starting to have one, and I grabbed his hand, and I said, I was like, help me. I'm having a panic attack, and he did, and it was awesome. I still don't, I don't know his name, but he helped me and then you know the nursing teacher came out and a professor and my friends and they drove me home and it was wonderful that they did that for me and then I had you know I've had a few more since then but this is something that now I have to deal with for the rest of my life who's to say that something wouldn't have triggered me down the line to start having panic attacks but who's to say that something wouldn't have You know, I could have went my entire life without having a panic attack, but now I have them, and that's just something that I have to deal with. I know, and it was just that one thing that caused this. You know, you can do dangerous drugs, dangerous by, I'm I'm meaning dangerous by saying you don't know what it is. You don't know what's all in there. You don't know who you're buying it from. It's not medical grade. It's not, it's... A really dangerous drug which means that you are buying it 
not from a doctor, not from a medical grade place. And that one time can change your life. What if my friend wouldn't have held me back from opening the door and running out onto the highway? What if I would have gotten the other drug that I asked the guy for? There are so many things that could have happened that didn't that I am so thankful for. And I know for sure that God was helping me through that even though I wasn't I wasn't asking him for help. I should have been 1000%. I should have been asking him for help. I should have been clinging clinging to his words. Clinging to Jesus' words and his teachings. For hope, for guidance, for everything. I should have been praying. And I may not have even ended up in that situation. I should have asked for help from somebody. But there's such a stigma around mental illness and mental health struggles that is loosening a little bit. Thanks to people who are speaking out. Thanks to people, other people who do podcasts that aren't even about mental health that just kind of incorporate it and make it something normal don't wait until you're at that point to seek help you don't even have to be near that point to seek help just everyday stresses counseling helps that it gives you someone to talk to who's number one a professional they know what they're talking about number two they signed up for this (laughs) they signed up to hear your problems they signed up for you to unleash all of your inner thoughts on them that's what they're there to do they're there to listen and a lot of the times it's better to unleash those things on someone who's not in your inner circle someone who's not your spouse not your friend not your aunt not your uncle not your mom not your dad not your sister not your brother not your cousin not someone who's related to you in any way shape or form a complete outsider and don't take something that you don't know what it is don't do it because it can be lead to devastating consequences can be catastrophic the first time you do it the only time that you do it which is what happened to me it wasn't as bad as it could have been but it was bad enough and it's something that could have been prevented it's an extremely difficult thing for me to talk about if i do end up posting this episode it'll be not my will but god's because i don't want everybody to know my issues i don't want everyone to know my deep dark secret i don't want everybody to know that i've done drugs one time but still i don't want people to know that but if this helps anybody that would be wonderful even if it helps somebody feel like they're less alone in their experience great i'm gonna recommend a song this week and it is called gratitude and it's by brandon lake and it's a really good fitting song for this type of topic where i just have an unbelievable incomprehensible amount of gratitude for the angels for God, for Jesus, for looking out for me that day, for looking out for me the days after that that were extremely difficult. It starts out by saying, all my words fall short. I got nothing new. How can I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as often as I do, but every song must end and you never do. I've got nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah. Hallelujah. And praise the Lord that I am here to be able to cling to his word, to be able to learn, 
to be able to study, to be able to feel that feeling that I get when I learn about Jesus, when I read his word, when I do worship, that I'm here to have, that that I get to experience that feeling, that I get to share it with others, that I get to thank him, that I get to share my experience with you all to maybe feel, maybe prevent someone from making that mistake because we all need to learn from each other and we all need to look out for each other, hold each other accountable and be a shoulder for whoever needs it. Not everyone goes through the same thing, but we can always help each other out. Thank you so much for being here today and thank you for listening. This is, it's been kind of difficult for me, but I'm so glad that you're here and listening. Let's share our stories. Let's share our experiences and just get through life together. You're awesome. God bless. I'm Elle Johnson. Bye. That's so important that people tell their experiences, the hard things that they went through, because there's going to be somebody out there that feels like they're by themselves going through the same thing.